Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks, to another very, very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Uh, Each week, I'm always very excited to introduce you to uh, my guest of the week. Um, I always bring on people that I respect or have touched my life in some way and love to get into dialogue and exploration. Uh, This week is no different. My guest today, I read his book, Awakening the Buddha Within, many, many, many years ago, and uh, really inspired me tremendously, touched me tremendously, had a huge impact on my life. And so it's it's a real honor to bring on today, author of Awakening the Buddha Within, as well as maybe 16 other books. Uh, He is the founder of the Jodzin Center in Cambridge, Massachusetts, um, authorized Lama, uh, sought after spiritual teacher, meditation master, Lama Suryadas. Welcome to Soul Talk. Thank you, Kut, and all of you for gathering today. It's a good time to get together. It's a beautiful day. And um, in this COVID era, getting together is at a premium. Yes. Especially getting together safe. You know, we used to worry about safe sex. Now we have to worry about safe gathering. <laughs> it's great. It's great to be here, man. I've been, listen, I've been looking forward to this uh, for a while. I'm really yeah. honored and glad uh, you said yes to coming on. Uh, uh, seriously, I read your books uh, quite a while ago and just had a beautiful impact for me. So thank you. You know, it's a, it's a joy to meet you in person. Uh, virtually in person. Uh, yes. I'm always curious, you know, and, and I think some folks, especially those that don't know your background, but I'm always curious about people's paths. And uh, here you are, Westerner, in a sort of Eastern mm-hmm. path. How did that happen? Like, like, what happened? Like, were your parents Buddhists? Were they no. the spirituality? Like, where did that go? And then you went, like, in the deep end. So what, what triggered that uh, seeking, that path, that that journey? Well, I could say it was just one big mistake, one mistake after another, <laughs> as the Japanese Zen master said, was his autobiography. Love but it. more, since you asked a sincere question, I'll give you uh, my version of sincerity back, you know, in answer. <laughs> mm. Of course, mm. my, I'm Jewish on my parents' side, mm. but Buddhist by choice and inclination and mm. training, maybe previous lives, as some of my Tibetan friends tell me, who knows. Mm. I grew up in the suburbs of New York and went to college in New York. And then instead of studying these things, I wanted to find God or truth or learn meditation and yoga and self-inquiry and who who am I and why I'm here and what I, you know, what I really here to do in this world, meaning, purpose, and so on, love. And uh, I went to the Himalayas into India when I was 20 after graduating from university. Wow. So, th- so then I got into these things instead of studying it in graduate school. 
And this was before the yoga movement and, you know, mindfulness movement and transcendental meditation. These things are on every corner now, but I'm talking about the late 60s and early 70s. So it was just coming. So I experienced that in college during the 60s and then uh, being part of the Mm anti-war Vietnam War movement and peace movement. And then my friend, Alison Krauss, age 19, was shot and killed at Kent State. Mm. Along with some other students on their own campus by the Ohio National Guard in May 4th, uh, 1970. So that turned my head around. And she was a college freshman. And I realized I really wanted to become peace, not just fight for peace, mm. and seek another way. Mm. And um, I went to the Himalayas, and I guess I found it. So I was there much of the 70s and 80s in Tibetan monasteries and in ashrams and, and so on. And one year in Japan studying Zen Buddhism in Kyoto in 74 and five and teaching English at college to get money to stay in Asia. But um, so I was trained there by Tibetan lamas who had escaped from Tibet when the Chinese conquered it in the 1950s. And um, after 20 or 30 years and many retreats, including three year Tibetan cloistered retreats. Then I started to get invited to teach and lead meditation retreats, et cetera, Mm. here and there. So starting in 1990 or 91, when I was 40, I guess, I started teaching and leading retreats. So that's mainly what I do. And Mm. also writing books and translating for lamas in person and um, translating mystical songs and poetry from Tibetan and things like that. But mostly leading retreats, counseling individuals, and um, writing, Beautiful. I love writing. Yeah. You said you said you said uh, you were in Asia and, and you you found peace. You you found it. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, like, what did you find and how did you find it? Because many of us were seeking peace, especially in this world that seems to be yeah. so chaotic and filled with crisis. And so, how did you find it? Well, I went on the journey. I, I looked, I, you know, I followed my nose. I followed my heart. I asked. I got help from other people, friends, elders, teachers. I met uh, many different types of uh, masters, teachers, gurus, saints, swamis, sages, charlatans, you know, mm. wandering holy men, holy women, all kinds. And I learned Tibetan so I could talk to my old Tibetan gurus. And uh, I ended up staying with them and becoming a Buddhist monk and doing long meditation retreats. And uh, I guess I've been meditating every day since ni- 1969 or 70. Mm. So, uh, and plus doing retreats throughout the year. So I guess that's how. But more, more to the point is... Um, if I can do it, you can do it. Anybody can do it. And that's always my message. So you're asking how, so I'm going to say also um, study and practice. We all are overeducated members of the upper path here in the first world, you know, if there are 15 or 20 years of education, but there's not so much wisdom in it. There's more information and knowledge in it. So wisdom and self-realization and inner illumination you know, heart opening, enlightenment experience is a little different. So it's good to learn and study how we can practice and then experientially do practices, like have daily practice, 
and, uh, you know, year round practice, kind of like not just study physiology and exercise, but actually exercise four or five, six times a week in a healthy way. And then mm-hmm. we are probably in shape. Of course, there have to be other factors. Like if you're drinking yourself to death, you're not going to be in shape just from exercise. So mm-hmm. it's a whole lifestyle, mm-hmm. the yogic lifestyle or the mindful, the enlightened, the awakened lifestyle. So I guess in the Himalayas, I had my enlightenment experience or realized, as it says in the ancient scriptures of India, Upanishad, God, guru, and self are one. And, you know, that that sounds good or hard to believe. And, you know, these days, in our secular, materialistic, scientific, over-information era, people don't know, you know, what that means. Is there a God? Are there any enlightened people? What happens when you die? I mean, I've written about this. I have a book of called The Big Questions and How to Find Your Own Answers to Life's Essential Mysteries. You know, what happens when you die? You know, sure. you can think about these things, but um, contemplating them and meditating on them and really, you know, plumbing them is a different matter than just thinking about a little in philosophy class in college, which I didn't find very stimulating. Mm. So that's how I found what I was looking for, whatever you want to call it. And Mm. by any name, it's even more sweet than, you know, inexpressible. Mm. Mm. Someone who, let's say they're sitting at home, you know, they're they're, they're a seeker, but they're not by any means wanting to go to India or Tibet or become a monk or a nun and they're just living life. But they say, I'm filled with insecurities or, or, or I don't have peace in my heart. My, my mind is constantly going and it's circulating and, and, yes. and the thoughts and I can't stop the thoughts. And where, where can, where can they begin? Where, how, how do they, where can they even start to begin to learn how to, become more quiet inside, to find more peace inside, within themselves? Well, that's a great question and often asked, and it's an important question these days. And in the 60s, there was a lot of talk about inner peace. Um, Now there's less talk about that. And of course, with the environmental crisis, uh, there's a lot of other things to, you know, take care of. And the young people are hopefully doing that. And we all try to, you know, be part of that. Um, Green Buddha movement, let's call it. (laughs) Mm, mm. Um, You have to begin where you are, always. The path is beneath your feet. Mm. Like, don't, I I don't recommend, you don't hear me saying go to Tibet or go to India Mm. or learn foreign languages. That's a long way around unless uh, you want to. I mean, travel and pilgrimage gets you out of your rut and broadens the soul and, you know, everything. But um, the path is beneath one's feet and Mm. the family is the, congregation and and the home and the body is the temple and that's something we could look into right now and as a meditation teacher then i would say you begin right now with this breath this feeling you mentioned anxiety you know whatever the feeling is whatever the mood is and be aware of it bring awareness to this so awareness of it is a little different awareness could be curative and um, of course breathing and relaxing and smiling and you know doing yoga doing exercise doing meditation chanting mantras singing and dancing i mean it depends on what your intention is but all these things are conducive to calming and clearing the heart and mind and experiencing harmony and inner peace 
And, and peace doesn't just mean quiet. There's a difference. Inner peace uh, is there at any decibel level, even in the middle of the traffic jam on you know, New York Broadway. So that's important. So um, as we cultivate that, we realize that we could be masters rather than victims of circumstances yes. and conditions and train our hearts and minds, cultivate mindful awareness, open our hearts to others with empathic compassion and see what they want. It's just what we want. And you start to resonate with others and identify with them more and treat them like you would be treated. And the golden rule comes on naturally. We don't have to legislate mm. it. And I think the important thing is to learn or find something that you can practice or get your teeth into, spiritually speaking. Not just be a Saturday Jew or a Sunday Christian, like we used to call it in the suburbs in the 1950s and 60s. But, um, you know, there's another six and three quarters days of the week to consider. So having a daily practice and doing a little self-inquiry and study and practice and um, take support of others who are on the path, elders, uh, friends, kindred spirits, and um, be a seeker. And then yes. you know, seekers become finders. Right. That's the idea. Like right. I said, I'm going to reiterate, if I can do it, you can do it. Anybody can do it. I'm nobody special. I'm just a three-sport jock. From <laughs> Island, you know? I'm not the Dalai Lama or Mother Teresa or anything like that. <laughs> what about what about like, you know, in the last year with COVID and this pandemic, a lot of people have um, gone through loss, whether it's, you know, losing someone they love, losing a job, dreams not working out as expected. And so having to readjust their own identity, loss of who they thought they were. And so sometimes that can be really hard in terms of dealing yes. with dealing with loss. And what advice or, or insight do you have? to help someone deal with loss of any kind uh, in life? Well, loss is a big part of life because everything is impermanent and fragile and life is tenuous. Uh, you know, not to be a Debbie Downer here, but life is tenuous. And although our ex life expectancy, again, I have to say here in the first world, not everywhere, but here maybe in this country, in this continent, it's gone up from 40 to 60 to 80 now over mm -hmm. the century. And that's all fine. But the, life is lost. But the good news is that most people, you, know, you lose the grandparents and you lose the parents. Uh, it's more of a tragedy if the, the children go before the parents or the grandparents. So life is full of this uh, natural cycle of life and death, birth and death, just like the seasons. Some is beautiful, but fall is also beautiful. And then winter has its own beauty, but it's kind of stark. And then uh, everything has a new renewal in the spring. So our seasons are also like that. And you have to think, I believe, the bigger ecology of being, not just oneself, but like the next generations carrying on and uh, wishing and uh, being stewards of the world, the environment and culture and civilization uh, for them. So... The pandemic is a international um, crisis, but it's not the only one we've ever had with the world wars and uh, nuclear proliferation danger and the plagues in other centuries. And, you know, it's not so, but loss is a natural part of life. Yes. So 
we have to accept that, not that we wish that on anyone. And sometimes loss can be the greatest precipitant mm. for change, growth, and even spiritual development. So I've written a whole book about this called Letting Go of the Person You Used to Be, <laughs> Learning from Life's Losses and, and, and Changes. And I'm proud of that book. And that was very helpful. And a lot of people, I did a lot of workshops on that. What about if someone's like, 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 I hear you, I hear, I hear you, Mama Suyuda, I hear you, but... No, play the devil's advocate. Yeah, I hear you, what? I mean, lost, but, but, but like, shit, man, I mean, it's hard, oh. I, I can't let, I can't, it's not fair, it's not it's, fair. Right. This pandemic took my, my relationship, my business, my, it's just, yeah. it's not fair. And, and so they know they should let go, but they're, they're, no, they're stuck. I, you didn't hear me say let go. It, it, letting go is hard to do. There's a song about that, but I'm not going to uh-huh. sing it. I think it's called Breaking uh-huh. Up is Hard to Do. But letting go is hard to do. So easier said than done. That's why we practice and we train. So that's why I said play the devil's advocate on behalf of our people. Uh-huh. Um, fair is not a very you know, sh- sharp tool to get to where we're trying to go. You know, to cut through the bullshit and the fog yes, and the, you know, theories. Uh, fair Life may or may not be fair. I mean, that's very subjective. Who knows mm-hmm. what, what is fair? The facts are life is challenging and whatever's born dies. So <laughs> learning that, you know, then we start to get used to moving on. Even mm-hmm. when people die, my wife died two and a half years ago of lung cancer, and I'm still grieving her, but she's mm-hmm. always with me, and uh, it's, it's a little strange. But, you know, where would she go? It feels like she's over there right now, like usual. Um, but that's life. She was 65, not a tragedy. It would have been a tragedy if the 20 or 30-year-olds in our life died, the young parents and, and mates. Mm. So we count our blessings and learn learned that everything is impermanent. That's one of the first universal truths, and Buddha's teachings you know, emphasizes that. And the more we hold on to things that are slipping through our fingers, the more we get rope burned. So mm. it doesn't mean throw everything away, but we can grasp it less tight, mm. the middle way. So not throwing it away, we don't have to go to another place and you know, give up everything, um, but grippling less tight to our expectations and attachments. That, there's a great relief in that. And you can practice that in the moment with meditating on equanimity and non-attachment by letting go of every thought and every feeling that comes up in the laboratory of one's own mind or self-inquiry. But mindfulness involves being aware of what's happening without um, pulling and pushing so much, without greed, greed, I want and I don't want. That's the secret of mindfulness. And that frees us to think, have a breath, uh, some mental space between stimulus and response, and choose how, when, and if we respond, whether it's to a pain or an itch in our body, which we may or may not have to scratch restlessly, or it's to some, you know, noise outside, or it's to someone shouting at us, some, you know, things we don't like based on whatever their bias is. You know, you're, you're a person of color, you know what that's like. So, you know, sticks and stones can break and all that. So a little mindfulness makes some space between stimulus and response and can free us from habitual reactivity and relieve a lot of the burden. Because a lot of this comes from ignorance. 
I want, I don't want is the dance of not knowing that everything we need and seek is within. And when I say within, it doesn't just mean inside. It means within every moment, within every relation, within every encounter. Everyone we encounter has it and is it too. So whatever words you want to use. If you're looking for God, every encounter is with God in person. I need you, I need you to break that down. I need you to, I need you, because we hear it. Right? I know. So it's I'm all saying, within. Play the it's devil's always, advocate on behalf it, of our it, people. It's all within. It's in this moment. But I'm like, my life is shit. I'm broke. I mean, how is the God in this moment? Or, or you know, my uh, my boyfriend or my, you know, is being, is, is physically abusing me. How is this God in that moment? Well, don't think that God is only found on the mountaintops. God is found in the ashes. And mm. we, we need to, you know, again, understand that life is not a fairy tale. Life is fragile, handled with prayer, handled with care. So mm-hmm. if, if your mate is abusive, maybe you can do something about that. If you can't, maybe you can leave. In our spiritual tradition, it's not frowned on to get divorced, you know, or break up or say no. Sometimes the setting a boundary is as affirmative no to the kids or to anybody is as affirmative as saying yes. So I think you know, if we bring some discernment and wisdom and patience to it, we might be able to, I mean, like transform the relationship. But if we can't, then we, we should, we, we could very well leave. And if you think your life is shit, which, you know, I don't know that it is or it isn't, but um, I doubt it is. We have a lot that we take for granted. Yes. All around us. And, you know, every day there's just so much. And if you've been in the third world in developing countries or if you've been in the cancer ward lately or these places, you kind of appreciate what we have. And, uh, of course, a lot of businesses have gone down and people and things in this pandemic. Um, I don't think it's the end of the world. And we, we can, we can, there is a virtue in adversity. It, it makes us stronger if we can take it that way. It's like, I, I feel like I've been pounded on, but it's kind of like the meat's getting tenderized. <laughs> and my heart is more tender or empathic towards others I see who are pounded on. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm a very successful alpha achieving you know like old white guy who was like on top of the world as it's presently stacked fair or unfair as that may be but i empathize by being pounded having my own difficulties or losses i'm much more empathic and feeling what others are feeling and resonating with them who may not have them advantages yeah and that brings forth natural compassion and love in action you know, and giving and being there for them and the softer uh, virtues it kind of uh, tenderizes my heart to others, which is very, very important, not just enlightenment from here up, mm. wisdom and awareness, but also warm heart and good heart and, you know, inclusive and noble hearted attitude, altruism, mm-hmm. compassion, patience and so on. And yes, these are, it's easier said than done, which, you know, I can keep saying. Yeah. So that's why I go back to study and practice, a little learning so we know what we're doing, and then a little experiential practices. Mm. Otherwise, just sitting and trying to meditate and trying to stop thinking is not going to help. 
Yeah. You get to learn how to meditate. Go to a meditation class, learn from a YouTube video. I don't know, an app. You know, I'm not against technology. Sure. There are good apps. Joseph Goldstein's mindfulness app is excellent. The most best-selling apps are also good. And you know what they are, Headspace, you know, whatever. Sure, sure. But learn how and then do it. Or yoga yeah. or um, exercise and healthy living. I mean, you know, we all have a lot of habits that we could well examine. And in fact, if you really want to get down to it, I think the, the biggest question is we don't know who and what we are. So we could look into this with self-inquiry. It's actually a spiritual path taught by Ramana Maharshi, one of the greatest saints of the last century of India, world famous. His book is called Who Am I? And it doesn't mean who is he, it means who am I? <laughs> who, who are you? Who is we? Who is I? What is I? And not just name, rank, and serial number. And if you get into that, maybe you can like find yourself and intuit, then you know why you're here and what you're given to do. Yeah. So that's what I found. But like I said, I went through it and trained in Asia and, uh, you know, you know, you trained somewhere. And also uh, I left a lot of things behind. So sometimes you have to empty out your cup in order to have something new poured in it. Otherwise, if you have a full cup, it just overflows. Mm. So again, loss and change and difficulties can be our greatest teacher, as the Dalai Lama always says, because it, it empties out the cup, maybe something new could come in. Or having a fallow field like this year without a job or without a lot of social life may lead room for something else. Like I started playing piano again and writing poetry again. Mm. So those are some of the virtues of adversity and how to gain through loss and, and so on. And everybody goes through it. I mean, life mm. is loss. In fact, if we have readers here, then I would recommend the book Necessary Losses, which is a classic by Judith Viorst with a V. Just mm. Google Necessary Losses. It's one of the best books there is wow. in this area, in wow. this subject. Wow. Necessary Losses. And Necessary I losses. recommend it. And, and, you know, my letting go of the person it used to be is also good if you're a book reader. Yeah. But working on our attachments and expectations is good. And yeah. self-inquiry and meditation could be helpful. And of course, if you think your life is shit, and, you know, then maybe you want to do something about it or turn the shit into a fertilizer and manure. You know, that also has a purpose. And you could get rich if you have enough shit that way, selling the shit, <laughs> some good shit. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I, I'm not averse to recommending a therapy, uh, changing one's diet. You know, if, you, mm. if you're drinking five or ten coffees a day and taking things, you know, supplements or medications to go to sleep at night, it's kind of like pulling the flagpole up with one hand and down with the other. It's, you yeah. know, so you look into your habits. I'm not even talking about drug addiction or other, you know, things. Yeah. But what, 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 we put in our, what we put in our body and mind, the body, mind, energy, spirit connection. Yeah, what role does, 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 let's say, in your thoughts on this too, karma, you know? Uh, sometimes we hear people say, well, just this is my karma in life. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just doomed. My relationship's doomed. You know, my health, just, this is just my karma. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on karma and how that affects us in this lifetime. And if so... Can we change it? How do we change it? Yes, that's the key question. Can we change it? How do we change it? 
So karma is not exactly the same as destiny or kismet, but um, it's not that we're just stuck with our karma. That would be too fatalistic. Mm. Karma means causation or cause and effect. So it's not just an Eastern doctrine. It says in the Bible, you reap what you sow. That's Mm. karma. So what goes around comes around. That's not that hard to understand. So if you live better, if you live well and better, whatever that means, you know, then you probably have better health, happiness, and relations. But, bit, you know, terrible things happen, tragedies happen to good people. And it's hard to understand why. It seems unfair. And also good things happen to, quote, quote, bad people, if there are bad people, you know, people who do bad things, harmful things. But in the bigger picture, it's hard to understand all of the many karmas that cause one thing, like the many causes that cause this pandemic, not just one person or one lab or one monkey or bat bite, mm. like the AIDS scourge of the 60s, 70s, 80s. It's hard to, even though we know it sort of came from the jungle and you know spread to humans, it's hard to really pin it to one thing. So there's so many causes. Like who you are today, Coot, and who I am, you know, nature and nurture. The upbringing, the family, the culture, uh, being men, not women, uh, or other genders, um, you know. So life is what we make of it. Life is what we make of it. I think that's the, the, the meaning of life, what we invest in or how we what we what we make of it um karma means cause and effect so changing causes like putting in better seeds makes better effects better Mm -hmm. meaning like choice your choice of effects so obviously like i said before exercise and healthy uh, living or food sleep and work habits balance probably make you more healthy but if you're drinking yourself to death every night it's not enough just to you know, be healthy, eating during the day, and exercise. So there's, it's a well-rounded picture of inner and outer, of physical, of mental, of emotional, of relational um, awareness, or health, mm. health and wellness. And karma means cause and effect. So what we sow, we'll reap. So we try to do more helpful, unselfish, generous, positive actions and reduce the selfish, grasping, you know, cunning, uh, and not to mention violent or or illegal, you know, harmful actions. Mm. Mm. Now, a lot of things are uh, relative, you know, like legal in one country and another. So we're not going to go into that exactly. But there are most things are universally healthy, wholesome or unwholesome would be a Buddhist way of saying it. We don't talk about sin. Uh, evil exactly, but unwholesome or not conducive to wellness and the enlightened life, mm-hmm. like addiction, like like violence, like lying, you know, self deception and deceiving others, things like that. So we try to clean up our act and be more aware and treat others like we would be treated, which is you know not an Eastern message. It's a universal message. I always say treat others like we would have our beloved children be treated. Because we treat ourselves like crap so much. (laughs) Right. Maybe we shouldn't just say treat others as I would be treated with my low (laughs) self-esteem. But I like that one in terms of the beloved children. Yeah. Treat others as you would have your beloved children be treated. Why? Because. 
the others are somebody's beloved children. Yes. And yes. like we all want and need mostly the same things and are pursuing it through different ways. Even across the aisle of the partisan, extreme partisan politics we have, or behind the iron curtain, the bamboo curtain, you know, whoever is the other side to us, to them, us and them, we're mostly similar, you know, homo sapiens and all. And we need to take care of our society uh, in the global and the environment and socioeconomics and the systems that are unjust would be the word I would use. You talked about whether it's fair or not. Then we need to deal with justice and, and greed and these things in our world. Yeah. So that's karma. We can make our own, we make our own car. We're responsible for our happiness and suffering, really. Mm. So that's what we, we call about, you know, just, not whether it's fair or not, because these things are sort of a lawful unfolding. Like uh, somebody says, when you look at an elder person, they have the face that they earned. So, sure. you know, we have sort of the body or the mentality that we sort of earned or you know, nature and nurture. We came in with genes and all, and that's nature. And it might be from past lives or whatever with genes and chromosomes and family. And then there's nurture. What happens here growing up and how we relate to it is part of the nature, the nurture. So we're not stuck with it. We can learn mindful anger management. We can learn to be more generous and less grasping. And we can recognize that there's enough for everybody. When we get in touch with the infinite abundance within, for example, that goes back to everything is within. When we get in touch with the infinite possibilities and richness, creativity, assets, abundance, strength within, why wouldn't I share that? And, and recognize it in others, support them in their growth and their flowering also. Not just be competitive. Competitive for me is fun on the sports field, but it doesn't have to be in every part of life. Because if we don't pull together these days, especially, we're going to be pulled apart. You mentioned karma and destiny is different. Can you, can you talk, what do you mean by destiny? Well, people usually understand destiny as meaning it's been written. Yes. It's been written. So karma includes nature and nurture, you know, which is already like in the piggy bank. You know, your credit rating is already there, but you can... <laughs> improve your credit rating right. and you can still you know whatever your goal is like be solvent or be rich or you know uh, like change your credit rating so karmically speaking you can rebalance the karmic scales by doing more wholesome uh generous patient loving unselfish acts and acts doesn't just mean physical but also like words mm. actions words you know deeds and intentions. Intention counts too. Intention. So it's not just the actions you take, it's the intention behind them that affects yes. our karma. Yes, because the same action with a different, you know, there are different intentions that could make the same action a good karma or a bad karma. Like if somebody sticks a knife into somebody's chest and they die in the middle of the night, it sounds probably like a bad karma. But not if they're a surgeon who's been up for 12 hours trying to save their life. So it's wow. unfortunate the person died, but, you know, the, the, it's good karma for the selfless, overworked, altruistic surgeon who's doing everything possible to save their life, oh, even God. though the knife and the death. Yeah. So 
intent, but on the other hand, everybody knows the saying, the road to hell, I hate to bring up the word hell, but we're just giving a saying here. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. So good intentions is also not enough. They have to be acted out. Hmm. So karma has a few parts about intention and action and the result, whether the result happens or not. And then even the fourth part, whether you like uh, regret it, there's room for rehabilitation and reconditioning. Mm. Or whether you rejoice in it and you make it a new pattern. So it's not just intention. It's not just action. And that's where we can have agency or self-mastery. Because it's not what happens to us, but what we make of it that makes all the difference. So some people have risen like a phoenix from the ashes, like Elie Wiesel, Holocaust survivor from Auschwitz, becoming um, a bodhisattva, a noble altruist and compassionator and awakener to the whole world in mm. service, social service, all life, or St. Francis of Assisi, after a six-month deadly illness from being a playboy, being kind of re, well, reborn, spiritually reinvented as like um, a humble a servant of God, whatever. Mm. So mm. Uh, many of us, you know, have seen that as possible. And that's why we, there's always hope. We never give up. And there's hope for rehabilitation for criminals and sinners or whatever they are. And we try to judge the act and not the person. So and, is de- and is destiny, is someone's like, do, do, do you believe that we have a destiny and that's set for us? Or? No, that's what I'm saying. I think we, we, we have agency. Oh, we have, yes, we have agency. So we have nature and nurture that's brought us here, like yourself, whatever it is, different than yeah. myself, yeah. but yeah. similar yeah. and also different. But like what we do, you know, today and from now on, <clears throat> like now we're doing something very similar, however different we may look or age or anything. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Um, you know, what we do from here on, uh, I, I believe that you have experience in the financial and business world. You know, which I don't have. So, uh, you know, it, whether you're a uh, steward of the planet, and I don't even know who to say is, you know, a great business person who does good. I guess Bill Gates is doing good with charity now. And, you know, George Soros, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> there are ways, you know, money is not necessarily the root of all evil. Probably ignorance and greed and selfishness yes, is the root that, of all evil. That's so, true. You know, you could be a bodhisattva philanthropist or a uh, wise businessman and mentor people or not. You know, that, that's very different than what I, what I do. But what we do from now on determines, like what you're doing now, no doubt, is part of your evolution and spiritual life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, which pot is on the front of the stove, which is on the back, we can move around and be flexible about in these times more than in the old caste system and all feudal society. So yeah. I think there's a lot of freedom and possibilities and creativity here. And mm. we have to change the systems also, as well as the individuals. Mm. So spiritually speaking, spirituality and the path is a very personal thing. Like you have to have shoes that fit you, not just whatever is supposed to be the best, you know, but shoes that fit. Otherwise you can't walk very comfortably. So spiritual practices and a path that suits oneself, which may or may not be how you were brought up. So it's good to look around and seek and find, you know, the way of life and 
a vocation, make a life, not just a living, mm. follow your calling or your gift. And that's how you make, uh, you know, good karma and actually be one with your karma. Then you don't have inner conflicts about what you're doing, whether you, you know, you succeed or fail. Life is not black and white. If we're batting 500, if we're batting 300, that's a winning batting average. We don't have to be perfectionistic and bat 950. Nobody does. So we don't have to be perfect and nobody's perfect. You know, I've heard the Dalai Lama say he made a mistake or he didn't know that. And, you know, everybody has their own challenges. So why do we incarnate? into this, you know, experience of impermanence and sometimes suffering and life is not a fairy tale, you say, and things end. But it's also... What do we incarnate? It's it's beautiful. It's a miracle because, I mean, we incarnate... You're you're a big boy, Coop. You know, you you incarnated because your mom and dad, you know, let's say in the best sense, they loved each other. Yeah, right. (laughs) And my parents, you know, loved each other. (laughs) <laughs> so, but, but, you know, why we incarnated, I mean, that's a huge question. Why did you incarnate and not, I don't know, a girl mm. or a disabled fetus? Mm. Not to mention, you know, a cat, a dog or a horse. Uh, mm. Because your parents loved each other. They have the chromosomes and genes of human. So they have a human baby fetus. <laughs> So, but in the in the spiritual sense, it's always said that the spirit is seeking a home and place to evolve for the next, you know, life. Mm. So we find in Buddhism, in Tibetan Buddhism, it says a womb door that's suitable to go. In other words, you know, a, a couple, a, a meeting of egg and sperm opportunity to, mm. you know, that will serve your mission or purpose. Mm. So that you're not an orphan or so that you're not abandoned or you die from lack of nurturance or milk or, you know, left out in the cold because they're 15 or 20 in the litter. I mean, things that happen in the the natural world. So Mm. the ideas of evolution, evolution of species, but also of the individuals. So I like Mm. to joke, like, if we don't learn the lessons in this life, we get left back and have to repeat (laughs) Repeat the, the year of school, to put it grossly. <laughs> so, 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 so before you continue, like, I, I really want you to clarify this for us. Okay, we, go, we have to repeat, you know, in another lifetime. But what is it that returns? You know, so, so That's the he, big question. He, so, so I'm cute in this lifetime as this cute character and don't learn some lessons. What comes back in the next lifetime? I'm not cute in the next lifetime. And, and for instance, I was joking with a friend like, okay, Elvis Presley or, or, or St. Francis of Assisi or, you know, Mother Teresa. And the amount of people that have said, oh, yeah, you know, I was, I, I, I was speaking to Mother Teresa from the other side. And then another person I was speaking to Mother Teresa from the other side. I mean, she can't be everywhere all at once, you know? So, so <laughs> at least this, that, that was my joke. But so what is it? that goes into the next lifetime because this is just the character so yes one of my doctor friends calls it the flesh bag 
just yes. to make the point because you know he went to medical school and he had a, his own cadaver that was in the morgue mm. you know mm. refrigerated he worked on every day and you know mm. he's seen that side of life more than most but um you know many call it the soul or the spirit whatever you call it uh in buddhism tibetan buddhism and in buddhism we call it the clear light if you read the Dalai Lama's books, he calls it the clear light or the clear light body because it's not a body. It's not really an entity, but it's the clear light. It's like the light of consciousness. And it has some, you know, like when you when you shoot a ball, basketball, if you follow through, you have a better shot because it helps with the body English, the body spin, and it go where it's supposed to go. Mm. Just like mm. rifles are more accurate since they figured out how to rifle the barrel rather than just the old muskets that didn't have rifled barrels. So the body English, so of our mind, the spin, the conditioning is what's carried on. That's who we are anyway. Like you're coot because of your you know, nature and nurture. So your habits, you, you know, you're probably a native speaker of English and something yes. else, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so all of this, so the uh, conditioning in our karma, uh, our for example, if we have a good death rather than a very uh, frightened and uh, resentful or scared death, you know, if we practice letting go and mm. dissolving in the light, but we have faith in God and we put our head down in mm. God or Mother Mary's lap, you know, people have different ways of envisioning this, but it's mostly the same. When we have a good death, there's many ways of having a good death rather than a bad death, a torturous death. Yes. You know, like, Death by drowning or drowning when your lungs are filling up is very painful and fighting for every breath for the mm. last hours or days, mm. very difficult. And then the fears and the unknown. So there's like body English, but it's, it's mental conditioning, the clear light going forward. So um, in Hinduism, that's called the Atma, which is the soul or the self, when capital S. In Buddhism, we... we don't really think of it that way, but more like a ray of light or consciousness is illumined and illumination and it, it seeks, uh, it's, it's like reaching up, like chlorophyll plants reach up for the light and we, we're, you know, reaching, the evolution is a reaching in a way, a transpersonal reaching, not a personal reaching. Like we reach forward in our life to grow up so spiritually the, the inner self, your, your highest self, the be, your best self is like reaching to grow up. And that's why the notion of lessons and education isn't a bad metaphor, but it's not complete, but it's not a bad metaphor. So we move from like information and learning and intellectual knowledge to like uh, self-knowledge, uh, discernment, wisdom, um, self, you know, realization, illumination. So it's an arc of like growing up spiritually. So let me just say, uh, you, you're probably familiar with this because you're, you think a lot about this um, and maybe our listeners do or don't know this. So in some traditions, they find the reincarnations. Now, of course, that's partly a matter of belief, but like the Dalai Lama yes. and Tibetan Lamas, there's hundreds of them. Uh, are Not all Lamas are reincarnate, recognized Lamas. But, but the Dalai Lama is the 14th version of himself. It's like word, I don't know, you know, 
2.0 and Word 10.0 and Word whatever they're up to now. Mm-hmm. Microsoft Word, I'm talking. So the Dalai Lama, the first one, lived in the 1400s. And then he gave some indications about where he'd be reborn through his clairvoyance and uh, self-realization and his strong intention. So they, so, 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 so they so. found him and they tested him. So that was the second one. And then the third one, so this is the 14th. And I wow. know there's quite a bit of those. But it's also found in Hinduism. And even in the Bible, you can read, you can pick it up today and find this. And that... St. John the Baptist said, or Jesus said, St. John the Baptist was the uh, rebirth or the spark of Isaiah, Prophet Isaiah's soul. Mm. So Mm. that's what we call rebirth. So people all over the world have believed this. In fact, Christians and Jews believed in reincarnation until the 4th century AD Mm. when the Catholic Council of Nicaea wrote it out of the scriptures and decided on the four gospels and pushed away the apocryphal gospels like gospel of thomas mm. and mm. so many people believe in this and in fact i think a pew poll or harris poll or american poll took a poll and i was surprised uh, and uh, amused interested to find that according to the poll some very large number, like 40% of Americans believed in reincarnation. Wow. That's a lot for a so-called, what used to be called the Judeo-Christian nation. Now for a <laughs> secular materialistic, you know, nation, this is a scientific nation, it's a lot. So were you, uh, and it's a personal question, but so were you like a reincarnation of uh, a llama? From a I don't know. Life? Some llamas say that. I don't know. Mm. I mean, it's not that important to me. Um, usually people, when they get into finding out their past lives, they're always somebody marvelous, like Cleopatra or something. Right. We're always I don't know marvelous. Who, who, was, who was the serfs, the slaves, the je- criminals, the, the doofuses of that exactly. time, you know? No, no and, one wants to be those. Not to mention, what about if you could be reborn as animals or birds or insects? You know, who were the horses in those days? So it's not just the horses are reborn as horses and people yes. as people. I mean, yes. it's very you know magical and mysterious all this. Mm-hmm. So 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 what happens? And I you, you, I heard you, men- you mention you have a book on this. But since we're talking about you know uh, evolution of of, of 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 energy, the clear light, some people call it Atman, reincarnation. What 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 happens when we die? I die in this lifetime. This body drops. Um, what okay. happens? Rather than saying, you know, the sense is dim and the lights go out and, the, you know, heat goes and all that, which we all know. And if you don't know, you can read How We Die by Dr. Sherwin Newland or other good books on death and dying by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and so yes, on. Yes, yes, yes. Very interesting. But... I want to tell you something more to the point about finding out who and what dies and how it goes on by finding out who and what we are now, who and what lives. Mm. Like, what is it in you that has carried on when you molted, when you transformed from like a little, a newt or a fetus or, you know, a blob or whatever, you know, probably a good looking blob in your case, Uh you know, fit, 
<laughs> smiling at you know what and, and, and a boy you know an infant a boy i don't know if it's coot your given name or a short yes, for something yes, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. so little coot who was you know six months mm-hmm. looked quite different what happened to him when he's two months years when he has a memory of things like your first memories, maybe when you're four or five, I remember my fourth and fifth birthday parties or some memories. So, you know, what's continued that remembers me is that when I look so different, my body's totally different. My mind's different. My role in life is different. My energy's, you know, my way of thinking is different. So when we look into who we are now, amidst all this change and impermanence, you know, what is the abiding principle or what is our true identity? Then, you know, when we know who lives, we know who and what dies and what the process is of, of ongoingness. When I'm 70 goddamn years old, I can't believe it. That's my wow. grandfather. Wow. So mm. what's, you know, who am I? What's the ongoingness? And then, you know, it, it, it's kind of clear to me now. Mm. So I'm not afraid of dying, and I know there's a continuity. That's why I said in the grade of ecology of being, I'm kind of paying it forward from what I've received from my gurus and parents in the world to the next generations and entrusting them with it, and that's my part, and that kind of lives. And then, you know, the rest is isn't that important, you know, any more than the 15-year-old athlete is important. That was a great time in my life, but... That was 55 mm. years ago. Mm. So I like to joke that I peaked early, but that's a different <laughs> diversion. God, I am beautiful. so, I feel so grateful and fortunate to have arrived here at wow. this point and, wow. you know, and to share it and to be it and to, I don't know. Mm. I, I'm very grateful. I say thank you. That's great. I do. That's great. And I like nothing better than to, you know, pass it on, pay it forward mm-hmm. by passing it on and by sharing it with people. And as a Buddhist teacher, we're always told, only go where invited, only teach when asked. So we're not trying to proselytize or convert, but like contribute. Yeah, beautiful. So I'm always, I'm very interested and available in this kind of, with quotes, higher education, wisdom for life mm-hmm. education. And that's why I, I, my contribution is teaching and writing and counseling and especially teaching meditation and the contemplative arts, let's say, the inner arts and sciences, mm-hmm. self-inquiry, you know, meditation, um, help people help themselves, teach people how to fish, not just give them a free lunch of fish once. Yes. Teach them how to fish. Find I, have fi- I have a final question for you. Yes. Uh, just thank you for sharing, you know, just so much of yourself today. And You're welcome. Just, thank just, you. share, just sharing with us just so generously. Um, thank you for if you were to, to, to If you were to reflect on your, your 70 years of life, you know, uh, you've been on the path a long time, uh, seeking a long time from your early 20s, my understanding. And if you were to reflect on all the lessons and relationships and teachings and teachers and your own practice maybe and you've shared a lot so some might overlap but the three most if you were to select the three most important lessons that you feel would evolve the consciousness of the next generation the most and you can only share these these lessons with the next generation of children and grandchildren uh, i'd love for you to distill your 
you know, Lama Surya Das, wisdoms, three keys to the next generation as a gift. What would you want the next generation to know? One is life is so beautiful and marvelous and mysterious and magical. Don't take it for granted. You know, keep your eyes open. Don't take it for granted. Make the most of it. I don't want to say don't waste time, but, you know, time is life. So use, make your life meaningful. Yes. Uh, second is others are no different than we are and what they want and need. So love and compassion, you know, empathic compassion is the way, the truth and the light. Wisdom is good, but if it doesn't help your way of, you know, your, your open your heart, your mm. relations, including mm. relation to yourself, then it's probably not really wisdom anyway. It's just some conceptual, some intellectual knowledge. Yeah. And the third thing is anybody can do it. Mm. I'm not going to go around saying anybody can be president, although that's the general thought. I don't <laughs> wish being president on, <laughs> on my grandchildren, nieces, and nephews. I don't. But anybody can succeed. So raise your ambitions to the level of aspiration. Like make a life, not just a living. Anybody can do it. You can pretty much do whatever you set your sights on. Pretty much. And especially with others. No one can do it all alone, but no one's exempt from participating. We're all interconnected. That's very important. Amazing. Could so you assign could, off the top of my head? Could you assign um, before you know, folks uh, tune yeah. out of the interview and hang up and right. go back into their lives as they're listening in right now? Could you just assign a very simple, practical homework assignment that they could do immediately right now as a practice? Could be a few seconds. Could be you yes. know, just just some I practice. Will. No, no, I will. I will, because you know. And I say this facetiously in quotes, and I don't know who's listening, and we're, you know, we're in the borderless cyberspace. But I'm going to say it this way. But since we're Americans, we need to have like an instant meditation. Instant. <laughs> Hot air, and, you know, air, just add boiling water and meditate. So one minute or American meditation. Breathe, relax, and smile. These are my instructions. You could even do it right now. You're not even gonna spend, you know, just breathe. Relax, smile. And then you develop it like this. Breathe, relax, center, focus, and smile. And relax your body and relax your mind. Don't worry what it means or what you can get out of it. Just breathe, relax, and smile. Breathe, center, focus, relax, and smile. The great Vietnamese master and peace activist Thich Nhat Hanh says, smiling relaxes every bone in your body. So silly as that sounds, there it is. So it. some journalists, some journalists wrote to, to my website, board members of my foundation, Zocchin Center. I said, what is with Suri Das? He's such a simpleton. Uh, <laughs> breathe, relax, and smile. How's that going to help the world? You know, You'd be surprised. I mean, that's the instant meditation. How's instant coffee going to help the world? There are much yes. better kinds of coffee, and there are other beverages. 
Yeah. And there's other nutrients, but this is good for its purpose. It's, a, it's definitely a start. And simple is good. Not being a simpleton, but simplifying. Mm. You know, like one shot right now is good. If you breathe. can be here now, breathe, relax, and smile. Fully happy the moment. Authenticity and wellness and everything, health and wellness is built right into this. Yes. Breathe, folks, you heard it. I'm going to show you the last. Breathe, relax, relax smile. Beautiful. And it's Let, free. It's and free for one and all. <laughs> We're not like that. It's quick and it's free. Yeah, I love it, folks. <laughs> folks, I told you this interview was going to be a And you have to take things lightly. One. I should have mentioned that in my three things. You know? Sure. It's number four. Don't take yourself too seriously. For life ain't much fun. Ooh, I love it. Uh, so you'd ask, what's the best way people can find out more about you and your Well, work? you what's can Google website? me and you'll see all my websites and social media, Lama Surya Das, with the Zogchen Center, D-Z-O-G-C-H-E-N. Got it. And your Zogchen website Center. is uh, dot org. yes? Great. And of course, there's Facebook and Twitter and Insta and I don't know what, and I don't spend that much time on there, but my people do putting out things. Wonderful. And the invitation is there to come and see, like I have a retreat, a virtual retreat, since we can't gather these days, July 23rd to 25th, if you want to learn and do this, you know, for a weekend in your place online, Amazing. just look up my website and, you know, my books. And, but really, if you take a breath or if you go outside, you know, that's all you need. Mm, keep it simple and don't worry how that can help the world because at least you're not harming anything Mm. there's Mm. plenty of things we're doing that are harming without even knowing it so you know take a breath go outside smile at somebody wish well for the animals and and the birds and the chipmunks you know instead of wishing they would die or shooting at them with your you know (laughs) if you're packing like my friends in Texas. It's a great place to start, folks. We'll, we'll put all of us. Uh, Disarm the heart. That's what I say. Yeah. Disarm the heart. We'll put all of Sayyidas' uh, links in the show notes. Uh, folks, do me a favor. Uh, check out his website, surya.org, josin.org. We'll also put everything in the show notes. Uh, check out his amazing books, you know, uh, the great books that I think will add tremendous value to your life. And um, go to one of his retreats there. I'm sure it's going to be amazing. I can't wait to meet you in person. So that would be nice. Where are you? At some point. Where are you? Right now I'm in Los Angeles. Uh, but folks, I've heard of it. As, as, <laughs> I was there the man, last week. The man has a sense of humor, folks. Listen, folks, as we wrap the show, uh, send me an email, kublaxon at kublaxon.com. I would love to hear your key takeaways from today's episode. Also, I would love it if you share this episode with everyone you love, write a review, and uh, share on social media. Uh, I look forward to catching you in next week's episode of Soul Talk. Love now. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply 
Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.